peace of Christ be with you. Give yourselves about three deep breaths that your awareness might recognize the Spirit drawing us together, and that you might be held by this house of prayer. Friends, let us worship in beloved community. Good morning. Please rise in body or spirit for the call to worship. In Lent, we are invited on a wilderness journey. Where we may wander and explore. Where we may meander and reflect. Where we don't have to produce or perform. Let us enter the sacred time with thanksgiving. And take advantage of the spaciousness. Oh 
You may be seated. Welcome. Welcome to Westminster Presbyterian Church. If you're visiting with us, a special welcome to you. I do invite you to hang around after worship to get to know someone you may not already know. Uh, we do have coffee and tea and snacks out in our garden area after worship. You're welcome to take advantage of that. And I invite you now to join with me in our community prayer. It's printed in the bulletin. Let us pray. Our journey to the crucifixion and resurrection begins here. We take the long road that we might examine the paths we are on, that we might consider our travel partners, that we might gain clarity about where we are going. As we discover priorities misplaced, energies wasted, or regrets earned, we seek renewal. Let us let go of what burdens us, that our load might be lightened. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, may we truly live what we have just prayed. May we let go of what burdens us. And we can do this because we are held in God's unconditional love. We can do this because we are forgiven and set free in Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. I'd now like to invite any of the children who are worshiping with us to join me here at the front. And you know what? Usually we sit down, but I'm going to invite you to stand up because we're going to go on a little journey this morning. Today is, we, is the first Sunday of Lent, and Lent is a time before Easter when we prepare ourselves for Easter. And often during Lent, some of the stories you're going to hear in Sunday school are about Jesus making a journey to Jerusalem, which was the big city of the day. So for much of his ministry, he was up in a different area. But as we journey through Lent, we journey with Jesus. So we're going to journey this way. And you know what happened when Jesus journeyed? They walked everywhere they went back then. So we're going to walk. As Jesus, as, Jesus, as Jesus journeyed to Jerusalem, he met people along the way. So he met children. And, you know, in those days, children weren't considered very important um, and actually, some people said, keep the children away from Jesus. Oh, keep the children away from Jesus. They're not important enough to Jesus. And Jesus said, no, let the children come to me. I'm going to stop on my journey, and I'm going to spend time with the children because they're important to me. And so then he kept going, and, you know, he ran into different people. He ran into someone named Lazarus. And he spent some time at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They were sisters and brothers. And they were his good friends. Look, at we have Lazarus and Mary and Martha right here. They were his good friends. And he was on a journey. But you know what? He took some time to stop and to be with his friends because that was important to him. And then he kept going and he kept on this journey. To, and then 
I'm not doing this in the right order. He actually said them last, but that's okay. He also, there was a man named Zacchaeus who, believe it or not, was up in a tree trying, trying to get a view of Jesus. And Jesus could have passed right on by, right? But no, he saw this man who so wanted to see him. He had climbed a tree to see him. And he said, I'm going to come eat dinner with you, Zacchaeus. He was on a journey. He had somewhere to be, but he took some time to be with him. And then he kept journeying. And what, who else did he see? <gasps> he saw Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus was blind. <laughs> and Bartimaeus needed help. And instead of just passing him by, Jesus stopped. And he took some time to be with Bartimaeus and he healed him. And then he kept going on his journey. So you may see what's happening here. Jesus had somewhere to be. He had a destination in mind. But every time he saw someone that needed his help or maybe just needed to spend time with him, you can sit down now. He stopped and he spent time with those people and he reached out to them and he included them. And that makes me wonder when we are sort of going through our lives, sometimes we might be in a hurry, sometimes we might have places to be, people to see, things to do, but what would it be like if we took some time to just reach out to the people that entered our lives along the way? You know, what if we spent some time just to tell people how much they mean to us, how much God loves them? You know, Jesus changed a lot of lives just by reminding people how much they're loved. Jesus changed a lot of lives just by spending time with people. So as we move through this season that we call Lent, which you're going to hear some more about, maybe we can do a little of that too. All right? So you guys are going to head off to Sunday school. Before you go, I want, I want your teachers to get there before you. So I'm going to invite the Sunday school teachers. I'm going to invite our middle school students. Wait, wait, not yet. Come back. They're not ready for you. You have to be received with love, all right? So our middle schoolers, our teachers, they're all ready for you there. All right, and now you can go head out to Sunday school. Go now in peace. Go now in peace. May the love of I knew we had more middle schoolers. You guys got to go hell. All right. They'll make it, I'm sure. Now, as we come to our time of prayer, as we share our joys and our concerns with one another, I invite you to let us know what might be on your heart and mind today. Yeah, Susan. So in, in case you couldn't hear, we, um, we've been praying for Susan's friend Sequoia for a while now through her heart transplant, through her recovery, and Susan's just saying that Sequoia's doing very well and so thankful to this community for all of our prayers. Others? Barbara. 
Yeah, so prayers for Barbara's family following the death of your brother-in-law. Yeah, yeah, Denny. So, Denny, it's um, lifting up prayers specifically for those experiencing homelessness right now. You know, as we hear more about the spread of the coronavirus, what might happen to those living on the streets? Absolutely. Others? Yeah, Tila. Uh, the so, Tila's saying that the children of Syria have especially been on her mind and heart this week. So, we offer prayers for them. Yeah. Peter. So Peter and Marilyn on their way to church this morning saw a car with a bumper sticker that said, I love my church. What a joy that was to see. I wonder where they go. Where do they go? I don't know. <laughs> Were they headed here? Probably St. Stephen. <laughs> Let's take a few moments in quiet, and then I will lead us in the Lord's Prayer together. So let us pray. Loving God, you are our hiding place and our refuge in troubled times. In this season of Lent, be present in our struggle, in our temptations, in our wilderness times, and help us to find rest in you. Help us to turn once more to the living and loving presence of your Son, Jesus that we may find new ways to live and love one another and you. We pray today and always, O God, in the name of your Son, Jesus, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day.
believe, I believe, Ruthie, that was a world premiere, right? That was a world premiere. I know you're going to go chime with the kids, but don't leave yet, because if you follow your bulletins carefully, I skipped something, which is very important. So I'm going to invite Rob and Ruthie up here uh, for a welcome. Patty thought she was going to get away with it this time. <laughs> well, you've, uh, Patty, come on forward. You've just heard Patty Simpel play. She's, you've actually heard her before, but uh, she is our new accompanist. And we're so thrilled to have you with us. In my short time of knowing her, not only have I enjoyed hearing her play, but I've enjoyed the chance to speak with her and hear her talk about her love for church music and the place that a choir, the central place a choir has in the ministry and worship of the church. And so for that, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful. I wanted somebody with better musical bona fides to speak to Patty's um, background as a musician. Ruthie uh, dutifully headed up this search, and so I want to turn it over to her to explain a little bit about how, we, uh, how Patty came to us and what she's looking forward to. Ruthie. Yes. When uh, Allah announced her departure, I was terrified. that <laughs> I heard what an arduous search it was to find her 13 years ago, and it was going to be a, a real uh, task. So I set about it, um, put the word out into the universe, and let my music friends know, and placed some ads in, in publications and places where musicians would look. Uh, and I wasn't sure I'd, we'd find anybody who really likes to do this kind of work. But right out of the gate, I got an email from Patty to say, I've heard you're looking for a worship accompanist and I want to apply. Well, fantastic. And over the course of three or four weeks, we had a few other candidates and I thought, how blessed am I that <laughs> we have options? Uh, but it was evident, even from, from Patty's initial application, she had a great resume, she has fantastic experience, She's been a music director as well as a worship accompanist in many churches in, around the area. Um, comes with, with lots of, of good experience, and I thought, this is going to be an easy decision. And then we had our audition weeks, and we had other really good candidates, and I thought, oh, man, <laughs> how blessed are we? But it really became clear in the whole discernment process that not only is Patty a well-credentialed and qualified person, she is the right person for the job. Mm. Welcome. Not yet. So, uh, as we know you will bless us with your ministry of music, we simply pray that the Lord bless you and keep you in this place for a good long time. Bless you. The first scripture reading is Psalm 32. Listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. Psalm 32. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and who, in whose spirit there is no deceit. While I kept my silence, my body wasted away, through gr my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all who are faithful offer prayer to you at a time of distress 
the rush of mighty waters shall not reach them. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with glad cries of deliverance. I will instruct and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding, whose temper must be curbed with bit and bridle, else it will not stay near you. Many are the torments of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Is Wilson here? Yeah, exactly. She's looking for a youth ringer from last week. The gospel reading comes from the fourth chapter of the book of Matthew, the first 11 verses. Continue to listen for what the Spirit is saying to us this morning. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, God will command God's angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, It is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only God. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. Friends, this too is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. I was ready to give you a sermon on the goodness of hiding. We heard hiding in our first reading. It gets such a bad rap in the world and even in the church, we automatically assume if someone is doing something and hiding, they're up to something. So we associate it with deceit or even worse. In the tradition, it goes back to our very Genesis, literally to Genesis. What is the first couple caught doing in the garden? Hiding. Now, it's important to note that they're not simply hiding, they're hiding from God. And that distinction holds, I think, all the truth for us. That, in fact, maybe there is something good and necessary 
about hiding. I mean, children know this. It's not the only reason they dashed out of here uh, a few moments ago. But do you watch a child or, or recall your own childhood and how they have uh, their own little hiding places? Did you have one when you were a child? Maybe it's a closet in your house or, or just under the covers. Maybe it was somewhere outdoors where you could go off to be alone. Maybe a tree that you would climb or under the branches you would sort of nestle. Recall how that felt. Safe, protected, peaceful, supportive, nurturing, perhaps. We all have needs of these places in our lives. Children know this. I think everyone needs a good place to hide where they don't have to be on display. And we are more and more in this world on display all the time. If you don't believe me, watch what happens next time somebody tries to take a picture of a child. Watch how they react. It's almost universal. They recoil because they spend their whole lives being photographed and recorded and put on display. And their reaction is visceral. They just want to hide once in a while. And don't we all? There was a woman here who once said, after admiring the openness and the lightness of this space, which I think many of us enjoy, it's not a dreary church. But after admiring that, she said, you know what would be nice if we also had a little prayer room or a chapel where we could pray and it needs to be dark and a little bit closed in. She said it needs to feel like a womb. Because what is prayer but this intimate encounter where you bear your vulnerabilities to God and you need to feel safe if you're going to do that. I thought it was a a keen observation. Our family was at the uh, safari park in San Diego uh, about a week or so ago on a little bit of vacation. I don't know if you've been there, but it has these grand, expansive enclosures for the animals to roam in, in more natural settings than you would find in a typical zoo. It's part of their conservation program. But we learned something on one of the tours that uh, really stuck with me. They had this huge impoundment where they had been keeping the flamingos. And they said... At first, they couldn't get one egg out of them. And you know how they solved the problem? They cut it down by like two-thirds and made it smaller, and they started breeding like crazy. (laughs) Now think of that. What they realized was that the flamingos needed a little place to be nestled in and safe and not so exposed and once that was the case, they felt like it was, it was okay to go ahead and reproduce. I wonder how different human adults are. That they too need a place from time to time to be tucked in and safe so that they might be productive, so to speak. And in fact, I think when adults don't take that or aren't afforded uh, the ability 
to meet that essential human need, uh, they'll find it in ways that are destructive. And they'll act it out in ways that are not helpful to themselves and the community around them. And this is why it's such a gorgeous image what the psalmist gives us this morning. The psalmist says to God, you are my hiding place. If in Genesis the sin is hiding from God, in the Psalms the invitation is to hide in God. There you are safe. And the psalmist says that's where your iniquities can be wiped away, which isn't to say swept under the rug. It isn't to say covered over. But rather, there you can find the healing and the restoration you need in a way that's not on display for everyone, in a way that preserves your dignity, in a way that launches you on a journey toward healing and wholeness in a place that is safe. Well, that's the sermon I was going to give. I guess I just did give it. It's an old trick, by the way. I was going, no, you get it. And then the shadow side of hiding reared its ugly head again in recent days. Not of hiding from, well, I guess it is hiding from God, but also hiding from us. Like any preacher who was trained at a seminary like I was or has been at a church like this one and the others that I have served, I have mentioned the name Jean Vanier in more than a couple of sermons in my time. Some of you will recognize that name. Many of you uh, will not. Vanier was a, a Catholic man who received an enormous amount of tension worldwide over decades for a ministry that he started. He died last May at the age of 90. He was the founder of what was called the Larsh Communities. Larsh communities are homes where people, for lack of a better term, who are, are not disabled, live in intentional community with those with intellectual or developmental disabilities. And they live sort of as family and share all of life together. It's a beautiful model. It's been transformative for people across the globe, because there are Larsh homes all over the world, for decades. If you do know Vanier, you will know he, he was a giant of a man physically, Really tall, a lot like me. And he, you, could, you could hold your laughter a little bit. <laughs> um, no, but he was a giant man, yet he had this really gentle, quiet voice, very soothing. What we also now know is that shortly before his death, the Catholic Church launched an investigation into him. And just a few days ago, released the findings of that investigation. And the findings are that he was a serial abuser. Not of those who uh, were living with disabilities, thank God, the most vulnerable, but a series of women over decades who came to sort of study at his feet, so to speak, who became his disciples or students of his, which happens so much with spiritual masters, right? It's been shown that in the manner of one of his mentors, who was a known abuser, that which Vanier uh, denied knowing and now has been proven to be untrue, that he didn't know that his mentor was an abuser, 
Vanier adopted many of the same abusive practices and ways of manipulating these women. And so he took advantage of them emotionally, spiritually, and sexually. I think we're all at the point where we accept that people are capable of great harm and evil. We accept that as an idea. But when these figures that are so inspirational to us prove the idea to be actually true, it's just like a punch in the gut. And we're not even the victims, right? I mean, I'm not the victim in this story, at least. In an era of Me Too, the, the other refrain that's becoming more and more familiar and also painful is, him too? And him too? And him too? It's just so hard to bear. And it reveals uh, the danger of putting these folks on a pedestal. It's interesting, the, we're not just given one reading today about God being a hiding place. We're given a story about temptation, too. We're given another tale as well. It goes hand in hand with Lent, this second story. Lent, which began last Wednesday on Ash Wednesday, when Bethany and I worshipped with a number of you and spread ashes on the forehead. And what I said, people who came forward, to receive their ashes was, may all that needs to die in you be reduced to ashes in this season. This season which culminates in the rising of the ashes of death on Easter morning. Now that's not to wipe away as if we could in one magic stroke someone's way of doing harm. It's not to excuse that or say you don't need to get other kinds of help or healing or support, but rather to sort of give you holy encouragement to take that journey, to seek out the kinds of communities you need to be a part of. You see, when you hear stories of folks like Vanier, it leads us to wonder if more of us learn to hide better in God rather than from God, we might not inflict so much harm on others. And if we remain more committed to living in communities of openness and health and accountability, then we wouldn't pass these legacies of abuse on to one another. Jesus goes out into the wilderness. We're told to be tempted by the devil. We don't get lost in the devil talk. The word in Greek just means the accuser. The slanderer, that's an interesting way of thinking of the devil. The tempter, as the text also says, offers Jesus three temptations. And we're so used to uh, carrying our beliefs about Jesus into the story that we think, well, of course he resisted them. He's Jesus. But I actually think that sells Jesus short. We think we're honoring him by saying, well, this is no real temptation. I think we honor him by recognizing what he must have gone through to be able to resist that temptation. All the time away he spent in prayer, all the work in discipline he gave to fortifying himself. So when those temptations came, he was ready. 
That's how we honor Jesus and be like him. All three temptations are in some form or another acquiring or demonstrating power over others. And Jesus wants no part of it. When I think of stories like Vanier or other supposed teachers who've inflicted harm, it sheds new light on some of the ways Jesus responds when he gets so sharp in certain moments. You remember that other encounter in the Gospels when somebody simply says, good teacher, and they go on and he cuts them off right there and says, who are you calling good? No one is good but God. And you think, bad day, Jesus? I mean, it's a little unkind. But maybe Jesus' being sharp there is him being acutely aware of how dangerous that kind of hero worship is, especially from a person with spiritual power. And it's not that Jesus was incorruptible. I know our perfect images of him say that. But I think a stronger testament to him is that he was keenly aware of how corruptible we all are and therefore took the steps to be mindful of that potential, even in himself. And that's what made him Christ. Not that he was incorruptible, but that he was aware of his, in, of his corruptibility. And so Jesus resists. Do you remember what he says? Time and again, it is written. It is written. It is written. He doesn't turn to another guru He turns to the word. He says, if you want a safe place where you can rest, what you can depend on, look to the law. Look to the teachings. Look to the tradition. It is incorruptible if held in the right hands. It has integrity. It is unbreakable. We are perhaps more fragile. And it works. I wonder if I could offer you another hiding place, another place where you can rest and where you can have trust. And it's not a place that has anything to do with a pedestal. It's actually just a simple table. I know for some, communion is kind of a hollow ritual. You may not have grown up with much attachment to it. It may not carry a lot of spiritual weight for you. Maybe it does, but maybe it doesn't. But what if we started to imagine it as that hiding place in God or that place where you can come with the same kind of safety and nurturing feeling and and meet the one, the one who will meet you face to face, who can wipe away your iniquities and can do it in a way that preserves your dignity and let allows you to be entirely vulnerable. What if this table was the place where you could encounter that? You could bring the deepest of uh, secrets, the, the deepest of wounds and brokenness forward in front of hundreds of people and yet preserve your privacy. You could do it in the plain light of day, which is how we always celebrate communion here, knowing that it's safe. And you don't need us to mediate that for you. 
Our job is just to come here and set the table for you and to hold the space and to give you a hand on the way up or on the way down. Because there you could meet this one in whom you can hide. Many a broken vessel has presided at a communion table, but the cup on the table is not broken. The bread will be broken, but in its breaking, it will be healing for you. A place where you can come and encounter the one who gets their produce straight from the garden, that garden, and promises that all things will be made well. The one who, like a hiding place for a child, says, I'm the vine, and you are the branches. And those who abide in me and I in them, notice it's mutual. It's always mutual and consensual. Those who abide in me and I in them will bear fruit together. Amen.